Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Hammer and Nigel. Do you believe these characters are weirdos? On 93 WIBC. So let's rock it. Hey, my name is Nigel. Guy Relford, the gun guy, in for Jason Hammer. How are you? Great, buddy, and it's great to be here with you. Finally, an arrest in the 2017 murders of Abby Williams and Libby German. They were the teenagers whose bodies were found near a, a trail uh, in Delphi. Richard Allen is the suspect, 50 years old. He's a local, resides in Delphi charged with murder, being held without bond. The investigation is not over, even though a trial date's been set for next March. There's the uh, tip line is still open. The emails tip line is, is still accessible. And I, I don't know, just your general thoughts, Guy. I, I Friday, when the news came out, I was it was kind of vague. Somebody had been charged in connection with the murders was exactly. the headline. Uh, we didn't know exactly what those charges were. Um, it, we just knew it was to charge in, in the connection. I was hoping and praying that somebody finally, something, somebody somewhere caught this guy. And we now know that he has been charged with uh, the murders of Abby and Libby. And I'm relieved. I can imagine the feelings of uh, the people in Delphi and especially the the families of the victims as well. Yeah, that that's your first thought. You know, it goes right to the families, and uh, and 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 I was I was I don't know about happy. I, I would say relieved to some degree that there's been an arrest. It was interesting leading up to the news conference at ten o'clock this morning. Nice, just as you, as you said, you know, they said they made an arrest in connection with yes the the deaths of Abby and Libby that was on and, Friday, and yeah. exactly, and we didn't know what exactly that meant, and we didn't know that this person uh, had been charged with murder. Uh, Richard Allen until today and interestingly enough the the only announced charge was murder and a lot of times in, in crimes like this there will be multiple crimes uh, that a person's accused of for instance I, 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 kidnapping before a murder or mm-hmm. you know God forbid other crimes we don't even want to speculate about and and the only crimes announced today were murder. Now we don't know whether there might be other uh, crimes that uh, that the judge has found probable cause for that this person will ultimately be prosecuted for. There, are, there's a whole bunch of information that we don't know yet. But at a minimum, we know that uh, that Richard Allen, age 50, from Delphi, has been charged with murder. And it's just it's just on another level, just creepy and just. Scary that this guy was wandering around in the open in Delphi, a local guy. Oh yeah, uh, I mean for, he, he, for upwards of six years now, uh, five six years. Yeah, I mean he's a local guy. He worked as uh, reportedly as a pharmacy tech uh, at a, a CVS there in Delphi. A lot of people go in and out of that pharmacy and, and interact with him. Reportedly a quiet guy who didn't speak much in public is the uh, reporting that I've seen. But yeah, that that is creepy. And and you know what I mean. 
to their credit, law enforcement, including Doug Carter that we're going to talk to here a little bit later, came out and said, you know, this guy may very well, this person may very well be right there among the citizens of Delphi. Maybe yes. right there. Yeah. Uh, may not necessarily that. be, you know, some drifter who, you know, is, is, is rolling through. And uh, at least at this at this point, based on the allegations uh, in um, in this prosecution, that appears to be the case. So there was a press conference and announcement today uh, about the uh, the man uh, charged uh, with the murders of Abby in Libby. It was the Indiana State Police, it was Superintendent Doug Carter, it was the Sheriff's Office, and it was the Carroll County Prosecutors. Exactly. They uh, had a, actually. I want to play this here first from. Uh, Doug Carter, his opening statement. I'm just going to play the whole thing. It's like 60 seconds long. Uh, it's longer than that, but I want to play the first 60 seconds of it just to show you. I mean, he was emotional t- today. It was a big day. Um, and like he, you're going to hear him say here, it's not necessarily a day to celebrate. So here is the um, first um, minute of uh, Superintendent Doug Carter in his opening statement. I would now like to introduce to you our first speaker, Superintendent of the Indiana State Police, Doug Carter. And you're going to hear a pause here as he gathers himself. He's at the podium and he's trying to gather himself here. Give me just a second here. Seldom do I have prepared remarks, but today is different because I do not want there there to be any confusion or ambiguity with what I will say. Today is not a day to celebrate, but the arrest of Richard M. Allen of Delphi on two counts of murder is sure a major step in leading to the conclusion of this long-term and complex investigation. So you can hear the... the you know, I don't want to say hesitation, but it, it, this was a, a a big moment for for Doug, and and like he said, it's not a moment to celebrate. It's not a moment to be happy. I I think there's probably relief is a good word. A lot of hard work over the past five years to put into this. What did you think of, of what you heard there initially? Well, you know, I I, I know Doug. I, I just had Doug. I just had breakfast with Doug uh, here a few days ago, and and we were on you know opposite sides of some political issues like constitutional carry, but we remain. I think very good friends throughout that process, and and yeah, Doug. I think is a lot like me, frankly, where he um, he's an emotional guy. He's he's committed to the things he believes in, including you know his job and enforcing the laws of the state of Indiana and seeking justice for victims uh, like Abby and Libby and their families. And 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 he's also been I what I heard, and this is just pure speculation on my part. What I also heard in in that emotion that we saw and heard from Doug during that conference, Nige, was 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 the result of an awful lot of pressure and and even yeah. criticism that that have been levied at him since th- this crime occurred. And a lot of people are saying, you know, why haven't we caught this guy yet? And what's the matter with the Indiana State Police? Or what's the matter with local law enforcement? Or you know, isn't this guy right under your nose and you haven't caught him yet? And and I think a lot of that is is horribly unfair. 
because people don't know the facts. They don't, they don't, they don't know what's been revealed. They don't know the status of the investigation. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and they're not even aware of, of legal constraints on conducting a criminal investigation. And, and yet, you know, he's been um, the, the, the subject of a relentless wave of, of, of scrutiny, if not criticism, if not both. And so I, I, I heard um, that being a culmination of the investigation were certainly relief. But I also think um, him coming out from under a lot of that scrutiny and 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 criticism, and I think the vast majority of which was really unfair. Uh, we don't know a lot. There's there's not a lot. No, we we know. Um, we still have a lot of questions. What led led up to the arrest? Uh, is there anybody else involved? And here's Doug Carter saying, "Look, if you're expecting all the details, today's not the day." Well, I know you are all expecting final details today. Concerning this arrest, today is not that day. This investigation is far from complete, and we will not jeopardize its integrity by releasing or discussing documents or information before the appropriate time. And Guy Doug also addressed some of the criticism that, uh, and you know, he's been criticized, like you mentioned, lack of information released to the public, and here he is uh, talking about that issue. If you choose to be critical of our silence, be critical of me, not the front line. These are the folks who have committed their entire lives to a successful conclusion. In other words, a guilty verdict. And so the probable cause affidavit has been sealed, which is unusual, is it not? I mean, that's... A, the- it, it is. It's unusual. And, it, yeah, exactly what's been been sealed and let's talk about what these things are not because listeners may not completely understand this probable cause affidavit is what law enforcement in, in cooperation with the prosecutor's office puts together to say here's the evidence we have that establishes probable cause to believe this person committed a crime and they lay that out and yep. some probable cause affidavits you know for cases i've had have been three paragraphs i imagine this one was probably page after page after page if page if i if i had to guess um so that, that lays out why law enforcement and the prosecutor's office believe that probable cause exists that this person committed a crime. And that allows then, upon a judge reviewing that probable cause affidavit, a judge then decides, yes, probable cause exists, can go out and arrest that person. In addition, the information, which is the next step, um, is is what the prosecutor's office puts together to say, here's the crime we're accusing, or crimes, that we're accusing this person of committing based on the following Indiana statute, based on the following acts. And it could be as simple as, did knowingly and intentionally, you know, end the lives of, you know, Abby and Libby, and, and or it could go on beyond that. Those are the two things that have been sealed. The probable cause affidavit and the actual information, which is the charging document where the prosecutor's office lays out what crimes or crime the person's been com- um, accused of. Listen to this reporter. He's asking now, this is Prosecutor McClelland, a reporter. I felt kind of almost got kind of a an aggressive tone with him because there is some frustration and lack of 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 information. Um, here is the uh, reporter asking the prosecutor why uh, that's been sealed. Can you explain, without getting into the details of what's in the documents, but this is not regular. Usually a public hearing is held. We should be able to see all the documents, right? Sure. Sure. The decision. Can you explain your decision as to why you believe that over the next 30 days, no one in this 
room should have access to those records? Sure. It, it is unusual. We don't do it very often um, in all the cases that we handle here in Carroll County. We did it in this case because the investigation is still an o still open. And while all cases are important, this the nature of this case uh, has some extra scrutiny with it. And so we, my office, me, felt it important to seal those records. There will be a public hearing on whether or not those records are going to remain sealed or not. Um, there'll be public notice for that hearing so that everyone can attend, but there will be a hearing to determine whether or not they're going to stay sealed. But for now, to me, it, it's about protecting the integrity of this case. I want to have an opportunity at some point uh, to have an opportunity in court to explain the evidence and for that not to be tarnished or tainted or anything like that. Again, he's presumed innocent. And so it was important for me in this case to do that. And, and not just quickly, how that works is that the prosecutor can ask for it to be sealed. The judge has to seal it. And that has to be based on um, an argument that it will jeopardize the investigation or even imperil the safety of a witness or a victim um, in order to seal these. That's what's going on right now. My name is Nigel, Guy Relford, filling in for Jason Hammer. Obviously, uh, we'll get to all the latest, everything you need to know in the breaking news, the arrest. There has been an arrest in the Delphi murders and uh, up-to-the-minute information all evening long here on 93 WIBC. We're going to switch gears for a minute, go to the drivehubler.com hotline and bring on Kevin Bowen from the Kevin and Query Show, 107.5 The Fan so, KB, tell me if I get this right. Colts lose at home to Washington 17-16. It was like a heartbreaking, stunning loss. The Colts were up by double digits with like four or five minutes to go, right? Yeah. by two um, scores. Yeah, two scores. Yeah, two-score lead of five minutes to go. Uh, the stat I saw today, Nigel, um, Washington had lost 128 of 129 straight games when facing that situation. So, yeah. Uh, there are so many negative stats like that about the Colts. The commentators uh, yesterday kept rattling stat after stat off about in a negative fashion about the Colts. I, they're, they're piling up, man. Yeah, the Colts should hang a banner of, like, we can create historic stats. I, I, you know, not always for us, but uh, that has happened way too often. Yeah, so, and then, but, I mean, you have the backup quarterback for the commanders driving what I, I don't know 90 yards in the last two minutes to win the game how pathetic was that yeah you know, and I find found myself kind of reminiscing a little bit you know Tariq Glenn ring of honor yesterday so yes. you have all the former greats in the building yep. and, uh, there's Dwight Franey and there's Robert Mathis I'm thinking to myself how much they feasted in those opportunities to finish a game you know yeah. we talk about closers in baseball you know pass rushers are that in football uh, if you've got a two-score lead, you know that team's an obvious passing situation, and yet you, you you couldn't close it. And Taylor Heineke, who I think is very similar to Sam Ellinger, did a great job keeping some plays alive, and you weren't able to get that closing sack, that closing strip fumble to ice that game. And I felt like in the Peyton era, when those leads were built, Freeney and Mathis slammed the door shut. Hey, should there have been a penalty call? Did I see that right? McLaurin, the, the dude from from Indianapolis who went to Cathedral, won a couple state titles. He's, he plays for the Commanders, right? I get that right? McLaurin? Yeah. Is that his name? Uh -huh. Should uh -huh. he, did he, yeah. after he scored, did he take off his helmet and start taunting? So I thought the difference in that, and, and I, I need to double check and confirm this, but I know a lot of people are bringing that up because in the Carolina game, Carolina guy caught a Hail Mary, yes. did that, got yes. a penalty, and they missed the extra point. 
I think the difference yesterday was McLaurin waited until the timeout to take his helmet off. I uh, believe you're allowed okay. to take take your helmet off during a timeout, get water. Obviously, he was doing more than getting water, but what a hell of a play. And for a no kid that, you know, grew up uh, dressing up as Marvin Harrison for Halloween, he, <laughs> he Marvin before the game. He said him and his dad sat in Section 540. Uh, I can see why his emotion was what it was. Yeah, so what's, what was the main storyline of this game? Was it Ellinger and his his performance, uh, backup quarterback, now the starting quarterback for your Indianapolis Colts? How'd he do? Yeah, I think so. You know, I, obviously we're grading on a little bit of a curve just because it is his first ever start. He's a six-round pick, and you know, it's not like he's taking a ton of starting reps in his NFL career. I thought I, – I, I think I'd be pretty pleased. Um, you know, I didn't feel like it would be deer in the headlights for him. I thought he would be able to kind of acquit himself, you know, pretty well from a mental standpoint. It wouldn't be, like, too daunting for him. I was a little bit more worried about his arm and just at the big league level on an NFL Sunday and facing the defense game plan for you. And honestly, Nige, he made some pretty nice throws down the field. Yes. You know, great ball to Alec Pierce for a huge gain. I mean, it's not huge. his fault Michael yeah. Pittman dropped that one late. That was a perfect throw by Ellinger over the middle to, to Pittman. He had a really nice uh, ball to Naheem Hines down the sideline. Another one that uh, drew a pass interference penalty to Paris Campbell. So this is an offense right now that is way too stagnant, not enough vertical passing game. And I thought Ellinger provided just some opportunities to make some plays. You know, now the question is, can you do it on the road? Can you do it against the Bill Belichick defense this weekend? All those things. But I thought for his first start, um, yes, he had a big fumble in the second quarter. Um, but I thought all in all, it was it was pretty good. How is, um, and I know he's been injured a, a little bit, but how overall, how how's running back Jonathan Taylor's season been so far? I thought last week was a really nice step forward. And then this past week, again, a little bit stuck in mud. I, I know his numbers were decent. Yeah. Huge fumble there late. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. or I guess third quarter. But it's not the second time this year he's fumbled in the second half on a drive that looks like the Colts are going to go in and score at Lucas Oil, did it in the Tennessee game. Um, and and you, you just can't have that. Uh, but I don't think the offensive line has blocked great for him. Again, some nice moments yesterday. I do think the presence of Ellinger should help the run game because Ellinger can make plays with his legs. Uh, but, yeah, certainly nowhere near the season Taylor had last year. And he's battled an ankle injury, uh, which he tweaked again yesterday. Kevin Bowen, 107.5 The Fan here on the Hammer and Nigel Show. You mentioned that uh, Pittman drop that could have changed the game towards the end there. And, and like you said, the Ellinger fumble, the Jonathan Taylor the second half fumble, uh, just some terrible holding penalties. Uh, I'm not saying terrible in the sense that they weren't actual penalties. I just, you know, Ellinger makes these big uh, scrambles. These and just those whole, just a lot of costly errors in this game, wasn't there? Yeah, and I think that is something the offensive line will have to get used to with Ellinger. Is like you, you probably have to block a little bit longer <laughs> and just a little bit different because he is a guy that can get out of the pocket. And at times you think, oh, you know. I can you know grab the guy here and, and, and you know not have to be worried about a holding penalty. Now that guy's kind of straining to get out onto Ellinger, and that it exposes you a bit. So only three penalties for the Colts yesterday, the fewest of the season. But they but were big like ones. Said, uh, costly ones, and all three on the offensive line, and that's a group that continues to underperform. Yeah, they're, they're talking a little bit more about the O line and how just how disappointing they've been. I mean that that one play with Quentin Nelson late in the game when they were in the shotgun and he just got steamrolled. I mean, that was that was awful. Yeah, you know, it's a. Um, I think Nelson and Ryan Kelly are not 
sniffing the amount of money that you're paying them um, and have really underperformed for you. And I would start there. I mean, questions at left tackle and right guard entering the year were there. But, I mean, Nelson and Kelly are being paid to be Pro Bowl caliber guys. And outside of name recognition, they have not played like that this season for you. Um, I know we live in our indie bubble, Nige, but I've mentioned this a few times this, this year. I don't think there's a position group that's underperformed more in the NFL this season than the O-line of the Colts. Um, Again, it's the highest-paid group in the league, and yet here you are, you know, struggling with sacks and the run game needing a jolt, uh, you know, costly penalties. You haven't really had injuries even hit that group yet, and you've really, really struggled, so... Chris Bauer's biggest core belief has really hurt this team. Last thing before we let you go, is the trade deadline, is it tomorrow? Is it? Tomorrow at four, yeah. And, and are the Colts, do they need to do anything? Or are they, you think they'll pull any triggers? I think they need to sell. I think they need to sell a piece or mm-hmm. two. I think they got to acknowledge where they're at right now as a franchise and realize next year's draft is really important. And if you can add some draft picks to help you, you know, trade up or, you know, whatever, further bolster – other parts of your roster, I think you got to take a long, hard look at it. Find a desperate team and see if you can, you know, kind of fleece them, um, if if possible. That's what I would be doing. Uh, trades are pretty uncommon in the NFL, and in general, the Colts. Um, not to end end this interview on a sour subject, but Trent Richardson would be the last in season yeah. trade for the Colts. Um, it's not too commonplace, but yeah. again, I think with some of these guys and how they perform contract wise. Um, I think you got to look at it and be honest with yourself of where you're at. And it's a team right now that's probably three games back in the division. I think it's like a 14% chance to make the playoffs. Mm. And you turn to a you know really young quarterback, and it's foreign territory, which means I think you got to take another look towards the future. Where can people find more of your stuff, KB? Yeah, Kevin Aquari is the morning show on our sister station. That's 107.5 The Fan. And then all uh, the written content up on 107.5 TheFan.com. Kevin Bowen, thank you very much, sir. We'll talk to you next week. You bet. Happy Halloween, Nigel. Back at you, brother. Coming up next, Brian Kilmeade from Fox News. We'll talk uh, all about the midterm elections coming up next week. It's the Hammer and Nigel Show. The Hammer and Nigel Show. Let's turn on 93 WIBC. All right, let's have a demonstration. Big press conference from the Indiana State Police today. An arrest in the 2017 murders of Abby Williams and Libby German. We'll have much more on this breaking news as it unfolds all day long here on 93 WIBC. My name is Nigel. Guy Relford is filling in for Jason Hammer. Thanks for filling in, man. Oh, man, you know I always love it. Let's go to the drivehubler.com hotline bring back on a, a very special guest. Brian Kilmeade from Fox News, co-host of Fox & Friends, the uh, paperback version of his New York Times bestseller, The President and the Freedom Fighter, just releasing. Brian, how are you, man? Hey, thanks for having me on, Nigel. I appreciate it. So, uh, yeah, let's definitely talk about your book, your paperback version of your book getting released. I want to get to that, but, um, you know, we're a little bit uh what what over a week away from the midterm elections have you ever seen it this kind of crazy this sort of palpable excitement around this and and why is that why are people so interested in these uh elections uh, i think so i've never seen well, let's look at the good part uh people are engaged yes so that's why the turnout's been even better than 2018 and pay on pace for that uh a lot of people looked at their individual their county their town how we vote uh, what their state is like after the, the controversy around the pandemic changes, and thought, what do we want to change? We're going to elect people. They're going to do what we want to do. Also, people engaged enough to get involved in school boards. Whoever thought that would yeah. happen? So that's all good. 
So, and I think that anybody who has a problem, anyone who says, well, I had a problem with the last election, well, it's up to you to find out what your individual precinct's doing. If you had a problem with, with uh, lack of IDs, with uh, whatever it is, signature match, whatever your situation is down there, let, let it be known and understand it and uh, do what you want to do with a lawsuit. But at, when the election comes in, we've got to accept it. Those are all things that I think we have to get back to accepting the elections. Any issues, don't just be sore losers about whatever. I don't want to be, don't be Stacey Abrams, and don't be uh, Trump 45. You know, get your legal team in order. You have the money. Uh, if there was some stuff going on, it's not been proven. So having said that, we, we've had a chance to see what uh, Democrats would do for the last year and a half. And it's been a lot of this stuff has been just flat out bad and wrong. And in people's agenda, instead of doing what's right, they're doing what they want to do for their party instead of their country. And that's what we're seeing with this green energy. That's why there's a shortage of diesel. That's why we're not pumping our own gas. That's why you're trying to vilify gas station owners uh, and, and, uh, and gas companies, oil and gas companies. So I think a lot of this stuff is preventable. Hey, Brian, this is Guy. You know, there's a lot of dispute out there, especially among the pollsters and whatnot, about what issues are really driving these midterm elections. And, you know, Democrats are saying, oh, well, it's abortion. And, and you know, and we're hearing a lot of, of, uh, of dispute on those issues. What do you think the, the majority of voters, when they, when they go in this election, what do you think is really driving people to go to the polls this, this midterm? There's just no question what it is. And it is uh, the economy and the subsets inflation. And the other story is just just what we're dealing with now uh, with the interest rates and the challenges in, in, in the different fields we're in. Not enough of our workforce is working. The labor participa- uh, participation rate is way too low. It's at, uh, under 62 percent. It should be at 68 percent. Who knows, maybe even higher. Uh, I think that uh, for the most part, inflation is hurting us for the first time in 40 years. Uh, the lowest, I mean, this is the highest it's been since 1990. And instead of the president going, yeah, it's way too high, he said, well, it's flattened out. High, it's flattened <laughs> out. I mean, not acknowledging or pointing out the unemployment rate when the bigger story is the interest rates and the inflation uh, rates and, you know, with the, with how expensive everything is. I think it makes people feel you're not in the same on the same country we're in. So how did how did we get to this point of inflation, highest it's been in decades? What has the Biden administration done? I, I think there's a few obvious things, but for people that maybe just pay attention to this on the peripheral and then don't, don't live in this bubble that we live in, how did we get to this spot okay. we're at right now, Brian? The first thing I would the first thing you would do if you're a leader and not a member of your party, and I would say that if it was Republicans in place too. First thing they did is they stopped the building of the pipelines. Yeah. And I've talked to people in Alaska, even Sarah Palin. What happened is what's flowing through these pipelines is about two-thirds of what it can do. So we're losing a third of the flow. And what people point out, to, well, the output's not much different. But we were on a sharp increase in, in, uh, in output when the, we were coming out of the pandemic. So obviously it was very useful, very little use for oil and gas in percentage because of the pandemic. We shut everything down globally. Got it. Understood. Uh, supply chain was going to be an issue to a degree because of the zero COVID policies of China. All right. I understand. But what we are in control of is the amount of oil and gas that we produce. What we are in control of is maybe setting up for the short term a uh, North American deal with Mexico and, and Canada. Canada is dying to be selling us their oil and gas who has the same standards as us in terms of 
uh, what actually of the use of fossil fuels and the environmental impact that it has. Why are we not fracking to the maximum? We've cut it off. Why are we not drilling in federal fields? We stopped it. Why are we not streamlining permitting? We made it harder. So why are we pushing to divest from oil and gas companies? Because John Kerry doesn't want us investing in that, even though it's more profitable for the pension owners, for the 401ks, and maybe for us individually. And then when it comes to, to spending, we did not need the $1.9 trillion. They had just cut an $800 billion uh, dollar check in December, and then they put $1.9 trillion into the into the stream. And then this last Inflation Reduction Act, which is uh, pure spending and agenda-driven. So if you put all those together, would we have zero inflation? Absolutely not. But if China, Japan, Australia can be below us and Mexico be below us, why can't we be doing that? We used to lead the world. Now we're about four, we have the 14th highest, highest inflation, maybe the 12th highest inflation in the country, in the world. But we're not the U.K. We're not Europe. We're not spending all this money on social programs. We haven't given up private enterprise. We don't have three-day work weeks. We have six, five- and six-day work weeks. You guys probably never stop working. Never. Uh, between the side jobs that we have and where opportunities we get. So uh, that that's part of it. I mean, that the, the spending – Combined with and uh, the experts say that if the if you if the Fed had put up interest rates a little bit earlier, we wouldn't have need the drastic increase now. I mean, six months ago the interest rates were three point six percent, and now we're we're pu- pushing over seven, could be eight. I mean, that's extraordinary. It's going to destroy the housing market. That all plays into it. Uh, speaking with Brian Kilmeade, Fox News, Fox and Friends here on the Hammer and Nigel Show. Uh, what? Senate races are you paying attention to? You know, people always, they'll ask me, like, why, why, do we, why do Hoosiers need to pay attention to other midterm races happening in other states? Like, you know, and I always say because these guys want to change the laws. They want to pack the Supreme Court. They, they want to take away your rights as gun owners. They want to indoctrinate your kids with sexuality and gender identity in schools. And so some of these radical Senate races, these people, like uh, uh, Fetterman in Pennsylvania, Warnock in Georgia, just to, to use an example, um, which which races are you paying close attention to, Brian? Okay, Lee, uh, I'm fascinated, fascinated with Blake Masters. Blake. Fascinated. And, and to see that uh, Mitch McConnell said this guy doesn't have a chance, I'm pulling my money out, let Peter Thiel support him. He's the one who got behind him. And to see him within two points of Mark Kelly. Now, Mark Kelly on the surface, astronaut, military guy, you think he's probably going to be the, the prototypical military person standing for principles. I thought he'd be Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema. Instead, he's been invisible, somewhat lazy, not a thought leader. Now he's ripping the president. Now that it doesn't matter, and you voted with him every step of the way. Blake Masters, a business person, just came out really aggressive. For him to be this close, this late, is unbelievable. I talked to Herschel uh, Walker. The show It's going to air tomorrow on, uh, on my radio show. Um, he is so underestimated. I spent two days with him. I also have interviewed about 30 times through my sports background. But he, whatever you want to say about Herschel, he is anything but dumb. And the way he's being portrayed by Barack Obama and by SNL and the late-night host yeah. is unbelievably – I mean, if you did that to a Democrat, they'd be calling you the craziest racist around. And now it's okay to, to take a guy who grew up in modest – uh, beyond poverty, was was learning to run in bare feet, literally racing trains, whatever lifting a weight becomes the best 
football player on the planet, then bobsledder, then track star, running with Carl Lewis, breaking some of Lewis's records, until Lewis turned around and broke it again for a dollar for zero money because he would have been ineligible, and then become a business person. He absolutely has got these contracts with the biggest companies in the world, and people buy franchises from him. And then to say he's dumb because he goes, goes why? He's a Republican? Hey, one more thing before we get to your book, Brian. I, I you mentioned Donald Trump earlier. We I was fascinated. You had a great interview with him. I think it was last week or the week before. And you you didn't let up. You he were going to make him answer if he was running in twenty twenty four or not. Do you think Do you think Donald Trump will will uh, run in twenty twenty four? I would say yeah. Um, and, you know, I always say if it wasn't for his health, obviously. Number one, number two, his uh, court cases. Mm, yeah. And you know, he's got four in New York. They're going to indict right. him. Right? You, I don't you know. Think- I mean, I mean, I've I've heard everything. You know, yeah. Is Georgia going to indict him? I don't know. Yeah. Good luck with that. You know, let, let Georgia go ahead. You better if you're going to indict a uh, Georgia's going to indict a president. Uh, good luck with that. You know. So, uh, and then on Mar-a-Lago, there was a meeting between uh, between the Justice Department and his people. I mean, to me, that could have been handled so much differently. I don't think the president ever should have taken one thing. Just check it off. But I also think the archives got to have a system. I mean, come on. Nigel, we're, yeah. we're setting things up for ourselves. Like, if I have to leave, if they tell me i got to go, they come to my office, and they'll let, escort me off and then decide what I take. With presidents, we've had 44, we have practiced for 44 separate times. Uh, maybe, I mean, with the re-election less. But you come in and go, hey, guys, I, I'm with the National Archives. Tell me what you're taking. <laughs> That's it. Tell me what you're taking. That's it. What else are they doing? I mean, dusting off, I don't know. Just tell, for him to take it is ridiculous. But to make it a criminal case is insane. And while well, a lot of this stuff is classified, okay, fine. I mean, a lot. Of, then you get the Hillary Clinton analogy. What about is oh yeah, this is all this is all correctable. You don't need to have uh, your attorney general make such a such a mess of this case. Uh, okay. Um- before we let you go here, the president and the freedom fighter. You've you've talked to us about this book before. It just hit paperback. Uh, why should people go out and get this book? Well, what I did is I put news in it, and, and since I wrote it, they're trying to take down the statue that Douglas was asked to dedicate to Lincoln ten years after his death in 1875. Then I look in the uh, the news reports, and I see they ripped Douglas's Frederick Douglass's statue off its moorings in Rochester, where I was over the weekend. Uh, and they actually defiled two of them wow. uh, with the Black Lives Matter protests. I said, wait a second. That's a perfect example. I'll put that in, you know, the way it's done. We as a generation, for some reason, thinks we can judge every other generation. Instead of studying the 1860s, 1960s, or 1770s, we're going to rewrite American history with 1619, and then we're going to mock it in 2020 and now 2022. And I think we're starting to come out of it. And I just think we should judge the people in the era in which they lived. That includes Columbus. That includes Galileo. And that includes uh, popes of the past who used to be absolute, basically absolute monarchs. I don't hate all Catholics because some popes were corrupt. <laughs> right? I mean, so I, I'm just amazed at the arrogance that they're, they're teach they're these professors and these uh, people have with what we're dealing with today in, in terms of history. I used to think history. I hope people would want to talk about history. I had no idea it would be part of news. So when I looked at Frederick Douglass, Abraham Lincoln, and their battle to save America's soul, I said, I'll put new information and they'll update you on their legacy today and what, what we've been through. But I am confident that no one's taking a knee at the World Cup, that no one's mm-hmm. taking a knee at, you know, at, at the football games anymore. I think the worst is over, and hopefully we all 
get closer and closer to a totally equal society. Good news. Brian Kilmeade, Fox News, Fox and Friends. Call back anytime, man. We love having you. Thanks so much, Nigel. Appreciate it. We'll be right back. It's the Hammer and Nigel Show. Hammer and Nigel. Can you believe these characters are weirdos? On 93 WIBC. So let's rock it. Hey, my name is Nigel. Guy Relford has been filling in for Jason Hammer today. Uh, finally, an arrest in the uh, murders of Abby Williams and Libby German. Uh, I really don't like saying his name, but this is this is huge news. Um, and he's a local resident of Delphi. Richard Allen charged with two counts of murder. We were supposed to have uh, Superintendent Doug Carter from the Indiana State Police on uh, with us. He had a scheduling conflict. We'll talk to him hopefully soon. Um, but, uh, you know, I watched the press conference earlier today, as I'm sure you did. I sure uh, did. Yeah. Guy, Doug Carter, uh, Indiana State Police Superintendent, very emotional uh, sure. when announcing that, that uh, this man had been arrested and charged with two counts of murder, gathering his emotions. Um, he called it a long-term and complex investigation, and he also mentioned that if any other people were involved with this with this um, homicide, they'd be held accountable as well. This is still an open investigation, and I'm just wondering, you have an extensive legal background, you're a 2A attorney, but you know about a, a lot of these things. I'm wondering if you're seeing anything or anything in this press conference today that, that other, you know, the layman like me might not be aware of. Well, there's a lot, Nige. There's so many moving pieces to this, and and we, what we don't know far exceeds what we do know at this. Right, point. we don't know what led to his arrest or how we, they. We don't, and we don't know what evidence is against him. We actually, and this is something um, that a lot of people aren't necessarily going to focus on at this stage. We don't actually know whether the allegation is going to be that this person actually killed Abby and Libby, and here's what I mean by that which is the, the, the state police and, and, and the Carroll County prosecutor, everybody who spoke today made it very clear they're still looking for information from the public or for any tips or anything along those lines on you know what they know that, that, that could help the, the investigation. And what that tells me is there is at least a possibility, and I'm not saying this is true, I'm just saying that it's something we may see, that we're not necessarily talking about Richard Allen as being the person who killed Abby and Libby, but someone who was engaged in the commission of a felony and during that commission of a felony contributed to her death in some way. And and I'm not saying that's the case at all. I'm just yeah. saying that's a possibility because we have what's called felony murder. And and what they didn't announce, they didn't announce in, in well, let me back up. What felony murder means is just that. If if like if I go in to rob a bank and I and I go and I have go in with 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 three accomplices and we're robbing a bank, and while I've got my gun pointing at putting it at a teller, my my accomplice, my co-perpetrator shoots and kills the teller. Mm-hmm. In Indiana, I'm guilty of murder, even though I didn't kill anybody. I'm committing a felony and during and, and committing an armed robbery. It's foreseeable that someone could die as a result of my commission of that that armed robbery. So I can be prosecuted for for murder, even though I didn't kill anybody. And 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 I'm not suggesting this is the case in Delphi, but it's at least a possibility. And that may explain why they were so adamant about saying this investigation is not closed. We want more tips. We want more information for the from the public about anyone else who may have been involved. Because when you heard that, you went. 
Yeah, my immediate reaction is to say, well, what do you mean anybody else involved? If this is the guy who did it, right, sure. quote unquote, this is the bad guy, isn't the case solved, end of story. So we don't know that, and, and we'll wait for all that to come out. The other thing is, authorities are, are by definition, just going to keep a lot of, of evidence close to the vest at this point. They're, they're, and they've sealed the, the probable cause affidavit, which, which is, that is. Which is unusual. It is unusual. Yeah, it definitely is. But And typically the reason you go to the court, well, first of all, let's talk about what a probable cause affidavit is. That's what law enforcement, in cooperation with the prosecutor's office, puts together to, to give to a judge to say, here's the evidence that we think establishes probable cause to go arrest this person for this crime. And the judge then rules on probable cause. And if they find there's probable cause, then they issue an arrest warrant, you go arrest them. Um, that And then what that translates into then is the information, which in Indiana is the charging document, that lays out what prosecutors say is the crime this person committed, under what statute, et cetera, et cetera. So those are the documents we're talking about. It is unusual for them to be sealed. Um, and the basis for that typically is that releasing them to the public would jeopardize an ongoing criminal investigation. That also suggests that prosecutors and law enforcement are telling the judge, look, there's a lot more going on here. There's a, there are a lot more moving pieces. You can't jeopardize our investigation by releasing what we know now, because what we know now, at least enough to, to establish probable cause, is what's laid out in the probable cause affidavit. So that's telling the judge, hey, you could jeopardize our investigation. Sometimes probable cause affidavits and and, and or in the information are sealed in a case when, when that information, if released to the public, could jeopardize the safety of someone like a witness or a victim. Okay. And that also suggests there are still bad guys out there. So look, I don't know, and I hate to speculate on the radio, but what, what today told me is that, first of all, there there's a lot more we don't know than what we do know. At the same time, it tells me there are a lot of moving pieces still in this investigation. Well, what the, I mean, they did set a tentative date for the trial, March yeah. of 2023. Yeah. Um, there's an initial hearing in January. Um, yeah, well, and then in March, a pretrial March? conference, uh, okay, I think, is what they said. Yeah, typically your initial hearing is what happens very quickly after you're arrested, which just says, "Hey, here's the uh, the crime you've been accused of. Here are the potential penalties." It, they'll they'll uh, determine whether you need a public defender appointed or whether you intend to uh, hire your own private counsel. That happens very quickly. So, and then there's then there are a series of what we call pretrial conferences, then a final pretrial conference, and then a trial. So, I think the pretrial while there's still an investigation going on, you can set a date for the trial? Oh, yeah. Okay. I don't know. That's a stupid. I mean, it's maybe a stupid question, but I just... Well, no, you know, absolutely. And, and the idea there is, I mean, for instance, there's a constitutional right to what we call a fast and speedy trial. And that's... Um, Guaranteed as a constitutional right. And Indiana has, under what we call criminal procedure rule four, specific guidelines on how fast someone needs to be tried. For instance, if you're in custody and you request a, a, a speedy trial, typically you have to be tried within 70 days. Now, there are a whole bunch of exceptions to that. And the number one, especially with COVID, it, it bogged things down. But the, the biggest exception to that is if the court is congested. And here in Marion County, they've had a huge congestion problems that was was even that were even made worse by COVID. And so you get up to a trial date, and the court says, "Well, we're congested," and then everything gets continued. But in a smaller county like Carroll County, 
And and you, who knows? We could see a request to move the trial outside of that county um, if if they don't think they can get a fair trial there. Uh, there are a whole lot of, of of additional moving pieces, but in a smaller county, the the likelihood of these this thing getting continued out over and over out, you know, uh, ad infinitum is much less because they have less argument that they're congested. But and 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 who knows whether this defendant will even request a speedy trial, which he doesn't have to. But there are constitutional requirements to to, to getting to trial quickly. You know, you have to wonder too what if any role. And there's been no charges brought against this guy Keegan Klein, who was yeah in uh, prison or uh, was arrested for child pornography. Right. But he actually uh, communicated with um, the girls the day uh, they went missing. Yeah. And yeah, it was this, supposed this, to this, meet this, one later. Yeah. Yes. This Anthony Schatz uh, fake troll catfish account. And uh, I, I just I I've wondered for forever ever since we learned about that account. You know, was he the only one that had access to that particular account? Were there multiple people using that account to communicate with the girls? Well, right, and and that's where we start speculating. And again, you know, I, we, we we hate to do that, um, but that's where you start wondering whether law enforcement saying, "Hey, this is an open investigation. We still want tips. We want still we still want more information." Um, that's that that yes. that's all consistent with the idea that they they think more people may be involved in what's going on here. More people have contributed uh, to the horrible horrible deaths of these these beautiful young girls. So we have to we'll let that play out. Emma and Nigel presents. Is it depends upon what the meaning of the word is. Yeah. Is this? Anything Guy Relford is filling in for Jason Hammer. You care if I give you some uh, stories? I'll throw it. Hammer usually throws these stories at me, and I'll throw it back and tell him if it's anything or not. Uh, let's, you mind if I throw some at you this time? I love doing this, man. Are you kidding? No, yeah, absolutely. Let's All go. right. Let's start uh, in Texas. Some people are upset because a Texas pet boarding business put out a sign that said, quote, now hiring non-stupid people. <laughs> Here is the owner of Pets Gone Wild Resort, Walter, talking about why he decided to put the sign out. They don't think they're stupid, so they came in to apply. We're trying to weed out the people that do come in. Uh, we hired one last week, lasted three days. And repeatedly, get off your cell phone, you've got dogs to watch. At least be as smart as I am. <laughs> <laughs> Guy uh, putting out a sign that says, now hiring stupid people, people get upset. Is this anything? No, absolutely not. I mean, what? and the fact that people got upset is what's hilarious about this. I mean, who would be offended by that, Notch? By definition, the stupid only- Stupid people. Yeah, right. <laughs> the, only, the, the only people that could be offended by that are dumb people or stupid people. No, of course not. What, what what would they be happier if we put out a sign that said, you know, help wanted, stupid people included? <laughs> well, I mean, come on. I mean, no. You might get more uh, applicants. Oh no, I think way. it's hilarious. I mean, it actually reminds me quickly of a story where I, after 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 nine eleven back in the day in two thousand one, I was working in a whole different environment, in a great big office, and I put up a target that I'd shot that weekend which was a, a picture of osama bin laden but i turned it into a target sure and i put a whole bunch of rounds you know through the middle of this guy's forehead and i was all you know it was nice shooting so i put it up on the door of my office <laughs> in you know in this big uh, law firm and and i had people come by and say they were offended by oh, your, your target I, and i go well unless oh. they're a member of, a member of al-qaeda 
and they're planning a terrorist action against the United States, I don't know why they'd be offended. Did you t- did you have to take it down? Oh, they asked me to. I said, well, maybe that may explain why I'm not there anymore. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I said, no, hell no. Right. No, absolutely not. Uh, I mean, businesses are still, uh, I, business owners that I come in contact with uh, throughout, especially in construction and things like that, it's 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 still sort of, uh, it, it maybe sort of is a soft word. Maybe it, it's still hard to find good help oh. because people just don't want to work. And right now, more than ever. I mean, it, yep. it's worse than ever. All right, is this anything? A family called the fire department to rescue mom after she got trapped underneath the couch. Uh, they were <laughs> they were moving it. It got wedged in the stairway, and mom was trapped underneath for an hour in the basement. Here's her daughter. For some reason, my family decided to move the couch to the basement at 10 o'clock at night. It <laughs> ended up getting wedged between the railing and the wall. After about two hours, we knew we needed help. We called the fire department, so they came and they were able to get the railing <laughs> off the wall and get the couch down to the basement and free my mom. We did pivot to get the couch into the stairwell, but once it was stuck, there was just no pivoting to be done. First of all, my thing is, before we get to your t- is why are you making your mom move a giant couch up the stairs at 10 o'clock at night from the basement? Well, exactly. I mean, that's that's what you get out of this. But I got to tell you, Nigel, look, you're a big guy. You know, I'm a big guy. And, and one downside of being a big guy is oh. for decades, I got asked to help people move, <laughs> right? And I always got that same offer. Hey, man, I'm, I'll buy pizza. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll have beer. And, 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 you know, and oh, man, I have, I have, I have helped a million people move. I'm getting kind of old for people to ask me anymore. But uh, there's nothing worse than a big couch and a small stairwell. I mean, that is not—it's not an easy thing to do. And you know, and you you end up busting your knuckles, and there's profanity, and and you know, you know. So so yeah, having you know the fact that they got mom stuck in the middle of this whole process. Why are you dragging mom down there for the under the couch? By the way. I mean, under the couch. It reminds me of that episode of Friends when Ross is telling Chandler and Monica to to pivot on the, pivot. the sofa. <laughs> the stairway. Pivot. pivot. <laughs> okay, I, I don't think it's going to pivot anymore. You think? <laughs> I love the bloopers and the outtakes in no that, doubt. that scene. All right, well, we, yeah, we got time for one more. Oh, you'll like this one. This is interesting. A German heiress is saying that she is, quote, annoyed that she's going to inherit billions of dollars from her grandparents. B, billions with a B. And she's saying she wants nearly all of this money taken away through taxes. Here is Marlene pleading her case to tax rich people at 90% because she believes it would be more fair this way. I was born into a rich family and will one day inherit a fortune for which I never had to work. Millionaires should not get to decide whether or not they contribute in a just way to the societies they live in and without which they would never have become millionaires. Social justice is in everyone's best interest. Wealth taxes are the least we can do to take responsibility. Tax us. Guy Relford, what do you think? Is this anything? Kiss my ass, lady. <laughs> are you kidding me? I mean, are you? I mean, by the way, does she sound German to you? 
And no. Where, where, I mean, it's, it's a, the, the story starts out a German yeah. heiress. But whatever. I mean, but, look. Whatever. But that's not the point. I mean, this means she's been educated, I'm sure, in the best schools from all around the world, and now she's developed whatever accent she wants. No. Look, if you want to give all your money away, give all of it away. You're annoyed. You're gonna. You're gonna inherit all this money. Hey, give it. Give it 100 away. Yeah. Don't you know? Don't stop. Don't stop at 90 percent just because you'll still have several hundred million dollars involved. Give it all away and go sell tacos in a in a yeah. in a street stand somewhere. Yeah. I mean, you, exactly. You, you're annoyed that you're a millionaire. Well, instead of being annoyed, why don't you be grateful and then be yeah. a good steward with that money? Well, in the and, fact and that give a bunch away to charity, and you can give away as much as you want to the government. Well, see, that's by the, way. the point, Nigel. She goes. She thinks it should be taken by taxes. You want to give it to the government? How about you make a decision Ugh. on who, what people in society could benefit from that money? No, no, no. This person may be the most annoying human being I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> and for that reason alone, yeah. it is something. The only way to bag a classy lady is to give her two tickets to the gun show. It's Monday Gun Day with the gun guy. Just watch out for the guns. They'll get you. Stop calling your arms guns. The Hammer and Nigel Show, 93 WIBC. Yeah, my name is Nigel. Hammer is uh, having colon replacement surgery. He'll be back tomorrow. <laughs> Guy Relford is sitting in his place. And you were preempted earlier uh, in your usual spot by Brian Kilmeade, Fox uh, Yeah, that Fox was a great friends. interview, though. I was really glad he called. Yeah, so, but we have a bunch of people on hold, and we're going to kind of do, we're going to mash this up. Monday, gun day, and ask the gun guy. Guy Relford, Second Love Amendment it. attorney. A licensed firearms instructor, host of the Gun Guy Show here on Saturdays, 93 WIBC. And we got a line of people waiting on the phone. We got a whole bunch of people on the phone. Let's get right into it. We got John. John, welcome to the Hammer and Nigel Show, man. What do you got for us? Hi there. Big fan of the show. Big fan of uh, you as well, the Gun Guy. Thank you, brother. Uh, The independent contractors, if you're working in uh, other property, what kind of self defense laws apply for you? to be able to carry a firearm if there is a altercation? Uh, it, it, John, it's a great question, but the law doesn't change just because you're an independent contractor. Uh, and, that, and that actually is one nice thing about having constitutional carry now is that you don't have to be on your own property even to be able to carry a handgun without a license. Um, if, if, if you can legally possess that gun and you're, you're at a place where it's not illegal for you to possess a gun, you can have that gun there. And once you're there, then you can defend yourself. Um, and if, if you're defending yourself from serious bodily injury or defending an, even another person from serious bodily injury, you can defend yourself. And your status as an independent contractor isn't affected by that at all uh, or doesn't affect that at all is a better way to put it. Let's go back to the phone lines. Got Doug. Doug, welcome to Hammer Nigel, man. What do you got for us? Hey, I have a question. So I inherited several weapons, sidearms, and I am wondering if there's any kind of legal paperwork that needs to be done to register those or notify the state or authorities. No, it's a great question, Doug, and I get that a lot on the Gun Guy Show on Saturdays, but we don't have registration in Indiana, and there's no registration requirement uh, at the federal level as well, so there's no there's no registration required. If they're just regular guns, rifles, pistols, shotguns, you don't have to do anything. You, you can inherit those just like you inherit a toaster. Now, if they were machine guns or suppressors or short-barreled rifles or something registered by the what we call the National Firearms Act, then there's a whole different process. What if you inherit a bazooka? Well, that's, uh, a, uh, well, that's a great question. 
But um, you can inherit a bazooka. Can you? A bazooka, yeah, is what we call a destructive device. Okay. That has to be registered under the National Firearms Act, which okay. is probably why you brought that up right then. And uh, you, you can't just take that. It would, the registration of that destructive device would have to be transferred to you, and you have to fill out what's called a Form 4, ATF Form 4, send that to the, AT, the NFA branch, and they could give you permission to then take possession of Grandpa's bazooka. See, that, that's not the answer you were, you were expecting there, was it? No, it wasn't. <laughs> I didn't even know you were allowed to own a bazooka. Sure you can. I mean, that's why, you know, when, when Biden comes out, he's like, well, you couldn't own a cannon at the time the Second Amendment was drafted. Well, hell yes, you could. <laughs> and you could still own a cannon. There are just pr- little procedures you have to go through. Let's go back to the phone line. we got Jerry. Jerry, welcome to Hammer Nigel, man. What do you got for the, the gun guy today? Well, yeah, I have a question. I'm a Navy vet myself. But uh, I wondered, under the congressional statute, where did the ATF thinks it has the authorization to regulate key cards, beta pin lowers, for the citizen access to advanced trigger systems. Okay, Jerry, you were breaking up there kind of bad, brother. I'm not sure I understood you at all. Let's let's just try it one more time. Where does the ATF have authority to what? Regulate key cards for building 80% lowers. Oh, 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 okay, all right, okay, I got what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, Jerry, what you're, what you're talking about is the recent uh, regs passed on so-called ghost guns. And this says that, you know, if a gun isn't completely uh, completed historically, you've been able to to finish that gun and you don't have to register it. The question you raise, where do they get the uh, congressional authority? It's re- I would rephrase that slightly to say where do they get the constitutional authority? Because what they're doing is they're they're legislating. And to your point, and this, and that's why I respect your question, is 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 administrative agencies, executive agencies like ATF aren't supposed to pass legislation. They're just supposed to enforce the law. And exactly to your point, what we have here is ATF making new rules that really uh, comprise or constitute legislation, which the executive branch is not supposed to do. I think when those rules go into effect, if and when somebody is arrested and prosecuted for violating those, you know, if I'm their attorney, my number one defense, right along the lines of what you just asked me, is going to be that this is an illegal regulation, it's an unconstitutional regulation, because the ATF never had the constitutional authority to legislate as opposed to simply enforce the law, which is what executive agencies are supposed to do. So, great question. Sorry I couldn't hear you uh, very well there. Let's go back to the phone lines. Jesse has called. Jesse, what do you got for us? Uh, I've got a strange question for you guys. Those are the uh, best kind. Okay. Um, I am, I've been uh, a scoutmaster in the past and getting the kids to uh, get – ammunition enough for their uh, rifle merit badge and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and I come up with an idea, and I don't know uh, to find an easier availability of ammunition. And would it – has anyone ever thought of fooling the NRA membership to, say uh, – Take a thousand dollars per member and buy a munitions uh, supplier or munitions maker, and then sell those members uh, a certain amount of 
ammunition. Yeah, well, you know what, Jesse? What's he it, saying? It, it, it's, 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 is, is there a fundraising opportunity through NRA or otherwise to raise money for ammunition for kids, in this case, scouts? Um, who what, can, was he saying it was hard to get, still hard to get ammunition? Well, it is. Plus, I mean, it's it's getting easier. COVID, oh my God, during the the worst parts of COVID, uh, that was the worst ammunition shortage we've, we've, experienced in my lifetime and and uh so it was horrible but he raises a great question which is there are various fundraising opportunities out there nra already has a program through what are called the friends of nra banquets and the friends of nra program where they raise money for youth shooting sports a lot of times that's looking at at uh, 4-h uh, shooting activities and whatnot, um, and and we have right here in Indiana, and this was actually created, uh, founded by a friend of mine, the Indiana Youth Shooting Sports Foundation, uh, funded uh, or founded uh, by a good friend of mine, Jim Dunn, who's been on my show several times. So there are fundraising uh, uh, efforts going on out there right now to do exactly what you're talking about doing, Jesse, which is raising money for youth shooting sports. I, I invite you to contact each of those people, the NRA. Uh, Friends of NRA, and and you can just Google that, or the Indiana Youth Shooting Sports Foundation, and uh, you can very likely come up with some money to fund the ammunition needs of your scouts who are doing the right thing, man. They're learning safe and responsible gun ownership. They're learning marksmanship. You you know, you can get a marksmanship badge as part of uh, the Boy Scouts. That's pretty damn cool. How many people we got left on the we've got on the board there? Five. Six more oh, wow. people on the board. Uh, you want to take a break? And yeah, come back? let's. Should we tell them to just sit tight? Yeah, yeah, because I want to. I want to get to all of their questions, but we definitely have to pay some bills a- here. Absolutely. If you right. if you don't mind, if you're on hold and you get a question for Guy Relford, the gun guy, stay there. We'll be right back. It's the Hammer and Nigel show. Coming up after five o'clock, we're going to talk to uh, Anya and Kevin from the Murder Sheet podcast. The Murder Sheet is a weekly true crime podcast. They've been covering Delphi from the beginning, guy. Yeah, I'm and, looking forward to that. Um, it's it's this is uh, this is going to open up some uh, questions. We're going to talk about some things you may not have thought of here concerning the arrest of uh, somebody for the murder of the uh, of, of Abby and Libby. So that's a little bit after five o'clock. Sixty one at the American. Standard Heating Weather Center 93 WIBC. Guy Relford is filling in for Hammer, and uh, we are uh, continuing on here for the next couple of minutes. Ask the Gun Guy, and we have uh, some people waiting on on the phone here. You're a two-way attorney, you're a licensed firearms instructor, and we have uh, some questions. You bet. And we've got Tom, who's been on hold for a while. Tom, what do you got for us? Hey, Gun Guy. Nice nice to talk to you. You I I actually did your your, uh, Second Amendment... uh, artwork for your for your 2a project oh i know you tom awesome and, that, <laughs> and by the way we got the coolest logo on the planet thanks to you so man i appreciate that a lot hey, thanks uh, so the question i have is is about the the gun brace or the pistol brace that's coming out in december yep what what's your what's your thoughts on that well it, it what for people who don't know and this is ridiculously complicated so I'll, I'll try to summarize it quickly a lot of times you could take a a, a what's called a, a rifle caliber pistol or whatever uh, pistol which it mean which means it's got a, a shorter barrel on it you could put what's called a, a, a pistol stabilizer brace on it which is something that's basically intended to fit over your forearm and that didn't necessarily convert it into a rifle 
because if it's a rifle and it's got a barrel less than 16 inches, you have to register that with the federal government under the National Firearms Act as a short-barreled rifle. The ATF is coming out with new regulations, as Tom alludes to, that are going to go into effect in December. Now there's a point system which is depending on caliber and weight and barrel length and configuration of the brace and any number of other things, you, you, they're, they're going to assign you points. And if you get over a certain number of points, now it's a rifle and you have to go register it. My thoughts are, Tom, is they've intentionally made it so incredibly complicated that everybody's just going to go screw it and go register uh, their their gun as an SBR uh, and, uh, and not worry about whether they can get tagged off base. Because you're talking about 10 years in federal prison. Dude. Yeah, as a result. So it, 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 those are my initial thoughts. But in the time we have, that's about as far as I can go. Let's go back. And we've got Jameer has called in. Uh, Jameer, thanks so much for calling. Hey, yes, sir. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Mr. Guy. Um, as, 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 as a 40-year-old man, um, I, I got whooped. And it doesn't really translate well in, in today's age. Um, so I was slapped with a D felony. Um, I've contacted my local attorneys here in Mary, or excuse me, Miami County, uh, to, to get that reduced. Um, but with just to clarify with you, would that be something that I can do where I can apply to, 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 to carry legally? Yeah. Um, and what was, what was the specific charge, Jameer? Yeah, I, uh, I whipped my stepson with a belt one time on the butt. Um, okay. He wasn't my stepson at the time, um, but now he is. Uh, me and me and my wife okay. are married. All right, and stuff. Jameer, we, and we don't have a ton of time, buddy. And feel free to contact me in my office. Just look up RelfordLaw.com, and I'll go into this. I don't like that. But 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 here's what's going on. I don't like that. Um, is we can we can expunge that off your record, but separately we can uh, restore your gun rights. That's actually considered a crime of domestic violence under federal law because it's your stepson. So there's a whole process process for restoring your gun rights. But both are doable. Um, it, it just takes a, a little bit of legal representation. So give me a call, and we can talk about that. In the meantime, Nigel, I think we're coming to the end of this second. Awesome. Do, do we do we have any time for any more, James? Or can you push some more spots, or should we take a break? Okay, because we, 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 I want to leave enough time for the murder sheet. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, That's going to be a great boy, discussion. They have been covering Delphi from the beginning. They were at the press conference today with the Indiana State Police Superintendent uh, Doug Carter there speaking, and uh, we want to leave plenty of time for them. A complete update here in just a few minutes, 93 WIBC. Hammer and Nigel. Can you believe these characters are weirdos? On 93 WIBC. So let's rock my name is Nigel, Guy Relford, filling in for Jason Hammer. An arrest in the murders of Abby Williams and Libby German, Richard Allen of Delphi, charged with their murder, being held with Albon. Uh, we'll go to the drivehubler.com hotline and bring on the hosts of The Murder Sheet. It's a weekly true crime podcast hosted by journalist Anya Kane and attorney Kevin Greenlee. They've been covering uh, extensively the Delphi murders from the beginning. You guys were at the press conference today just tell me a little bit uh, about your feelings about what we learned and even more importantly what we didn't learn at the press conference today absolutely and thanks so much for having us um we went to the press conference we were sitting in the front row of the media seats and we sort of were taking notes and recording and really trying to figure out everything i would say that the big takeaways are that um this man richard allen is being charged with 
two counts of murder, one for Abby, one for Lippy. Uh, so that is certainly a huge step in this case. Not only has someone been detained, arrested, uh, they're being charged with the, with murder. And that's something that we've all been waiting for for five years, ever since those two girls were found, um, unfortunately, deceased, having been murdered. So, I mean, this is dramatic, but I think I'll let Kevin talk about maybe some areas where we don't really know what to make of at this point. Yeah, there's a lot they didn't tell us. They didn't tell us what evidence led to this arrest. And they also, uh, usually when you have an arrest, the investigation is over. But they made it very, very clear that the investigation in this case is still continuing. And they're still soliciting tips from the public. So there's a lot of speculation about what that may mean. Uh, it could possibly indicate that there are other people other than Mr. Allen who could ultimately face charges in this crime. And Kevin, this is Guy, and, and like you, I'm an attorney, and, and I do criminal defense work here in Indiana. W- would you agree with me that when law enforcement comes out after an arrest and they make it clear that they're still investigating and they still are, are asking for the public's assistance or any additional tips, that can be because they're 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 also trying to identify other potential subjects who may be involved in criminal activity or assisted the criminal or otherwise but they also don't want to be subject to the criticism that they focused in only on one suspect in this case now a defendant and 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 ruled out any other potential suspects which as you and I know in a criminal case at trial can be used to say well you discounted any possibility of other suspects you didn't investigate any other leads and that's why you ignored the guy who really did this uh, to the jeopardy of the person who's now being improperly prosecuted. Uh, do you agree with me that's also a, a, a leverage or at least um, a strategy to avoid that kind of argument at trial later on? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's going to be very important at trial because you often see defense attorneys arguing that the prosecution or police have put blinders on, that they lock into one particular suspect early on and don't look at anyone else. So it is very important for police to communicate to the public and to everyone that they are open to looking at anybody else who might possibly be involved. And I would add to that, you know, I mean, they're they're publicly they publicly came out with this Anthony Schatz news back in December right. of 2021. So like they they've publicly put stuff out there around you know things that were connected to a man named Keg and Klein. So there may also be an effort to you know just kind of tie up whatever loose ends they need to. And whether that means that more people are linked or they can just rule that out and say no, we're confident that this is the only man. They're just doing their due diligence most likely. Journalist Anya Kane and attorney Kevin. Green- host the Murder Sheets uh, podcast. It's a true crime podcast. They've been covering, uh, again, the Delphi murders from the very beginning. Uh, been on this show several times. Let me ask you this question. Did the name Richard Allen ever pop up in your guys' circles, in the investigations that you have done? Not at all. The mm. first time we heard this name, it was after we had heard news that a, an arrest was made. And so we were totally taken aback uh, about this. And, and we actually asked around. There's so many people online, whether it's, uh, you know, people who are online sleuths and kind of looking into the case on their own or, you know, other journalists, people who are observing, um, you know, and we were asking around if anyone had heard of this guy before. And, and we have not heard anyone who had this man on their radar. Well, let me ask you this question. And, and by the way, I need to throw 
throw this out gratuitously. This is Guy. I'm a fan of the murder sheet. I think you guys do a fabulous job um, in, uh, in 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 crimes and murders all across the country. And and so I uh, I'm thrilled to be able to talk to you directly. Do you think it's significant, or what do you think of generally the fact that we only had murder charges announced today? And again, as a criminal defense attorney, that was that was unusual to me in the sense that here you have, you know, two beautiful young young ladies um, who are murdered. You would expect there to be multiple charges filed as to someone who they believe killed them. In other words, there's no kidnapping or criminal confinement. There, there's there, there's nothing else, and, and there are other issues we don't clearly want to speculate on. But it's unusual in this kind of a circumstance, in my experience, for it to be only be murder and not be a whole host of other related uh, uh, crimes that, that a person is going to be accused of, because typically that, those all flow together in terms of the reasons why someone is murdered under these kind of circumstances. What, what do you make of that? Do you think that's because these are the only charges filed or because we're not going to know everything else that may uh, be levied at this gentleman, this defendant, until the information and the probable cause affidavit are, are unsealed? Absolutely. And, and thanks for the lovely compliment. Um, I would say that uh, for us, I mean, actually, you'll appreciate this. We were, you know, when when they opened it up to questions, I, I shouted out a question about other charges um, in the case. Or can we expect other charges? Has he been charged with anything else other than these two counts of murder? Unfortunately, they did not pick my question. And I think they've been very reluctant to talk about any details. But we, I mean, we were surprised by that, too. And we imagine that it's not necessarily mean that they won't bring any other charges uh, against this man, but we almost see it as a strategy to kind of keep a lot of the details out of the public eye for now as they continue the investigation. And let me turn around and ask you a question, because one thing that we've heard speculated at here at the press conference behind the scenes and stuff was that in Indiana, you can be charged with murder if you obviously intentionally, personally cause the death of another human being, but you can also be charged with murder even if you did not intentionally cause the death of a human being, but someone was killed during the commission of a felony that you took part in. Mm. Do you think there's any possibility of something like that at play here? And would that possibly explain why we're not seeing other charges right now? Uh, Kevin, I think that's a brilliant question, and and I think that the answer is absolutely yes, and that explains uh, potentially. Again, we're, we're speculating, which we hate to do. We're speculating, but but I think that's such a smart question because yes, uh, we have a felony murder statute here in Indiana, exactly as you're alluding to, and if you're involved in the commission of a felony, and as a result of your commission of that felony, it's foreseeable that someone could lose their life, and that could be anyone. That could be a victim. It could be a co-perpetrator. Uh, or anyone else, then yes, you can be charged with murder um, under felony murder as exists in so many other states. And so, yes, that explains a number of things. It explains why there are no other charges like kidnapping or whatnot, at least as have been announced. It could potentially explain also why they want to keep the investigation open and they want to hear um, about any other tips or any other evidence. And and again, keep in mind the wording of Superintendent Carter, the, the prosecutor there in Carroll County and others who said, anyone else who may involve been involved in this crime that that 
may or may not mean they think other people were involved in the crime, but if it does, it could mean this person's guilty of felony murder while someone else could still be also potentially prosecuted as being the direct cause of these these young ladies' demise. And so and so I think that's a great question and I think that that is something that, that we need to follow, obviously, and we may learn a lot more about when the this information and this probable cause affidavit get unsealed. And do we have a timeline on that? Did they give any indication of when that PC affidavit would would become unsealed? Um, so they gave a bit of a timeline on what we can expect going forward, at least for now. I know the, uh, there's going to be a, an initial hearing in January of 2023 um, for now. And I, I, my understanding was that that will discuss some of the... Uh, they said there would be yeah. some sort of hearing probably within 30 days as to whether or not the probable cause mm-hmm. affidavit would be unsealed. Right. And then initial court hearings in January. And then at this point, they're saying that the trial could be in March, although I think both of us are a little skeptical that it'll happen that quickly. Yeah, and just so people know, too, this is Guy jumping in, and that the, typically the reasons that a probable cause affidavit or an information, we say information, that's the, that's the charging document. Uh, that that's what that, that's what the state files to say. Here's the crime you're accused of, based on uh, um, uh, the probable cause affidavit. But here here's what we think you did. Is that's what an information is, uh, and uh, typically those are sealed when a judge uh, buys the argument. And this is typically one sided, right? The defendant. Well, it's always one sided. The defendant doesn't get to come in, and, or the media, or anyone else interested doesn't need to get to come in and argue against it. But based on the prosecution, the state's argument. Um, that they say, well, this could jeopardize our investigation if these inf- if this is revealed, or um, a witness could be physically imperiled, uh, could be at risk um, if if we release this information. Things like that are the arguments made to a court on why the court should seal the information and the probable cause affidavit, which is the, what the judge read and reviewed to decide whether there was probable cause for an arrest. Those things, you know, they could jeopardize the investigation or it could imperil a witness or, or someone else, um, and and. And those are the principal arguments made. At some point, though, there are due process arguments, there are open court issues, there are things that kick in to say, okay, we're going to no longer um, put those issues as a priority ahead of the due process of the defendant in in having these these things made public, and also the, the public's interest to know. Absolutely. And I got to say, I mean, we're in a position where as media, we want to know and we want to inform the public. But we can also, as people who have reported on this case for a while and deeply care about it, we can understand that the need for caution here. So it's we're a bit torn ourselves, although I'm sure we would definitely love to know more about why this man was arrested. It did seem like even towards the end when they were one of the reporters was asking Prosecutor McClelland why the probable cause affidavit was sealed. It was somewhat of an aggressive tone towards the the prosecutor. Were, were, were reporters like what was the mood in the press conference here before we let you go? Was it I mean, was it tense? Was it a sense of relief? It did seem very emotional for Superintendent Carter up there on stage. It definitely was. I, I think there was a lot of excitement. You had a lot of people get there very early, who, uh, just really curious about what was going to be said. Um, and I think, I mean, I think talking amongst ourselves, uh, the media maybe was a little bit sort of like expecting that there were going to be a lot of questions left unanswered. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and just because that's the nat- been the nature of this case for a long time. Um, but at the same time, there was anticipation. I don't think there was so much frustration as just really wanting to get more and really get a 
better sense of what does this mean? Because, I mean, they can say, you know, what they said up there, but what does this mean? Is the case strong? Can we expect a conviction soon? So I think people are really just trying to look ahead and see, will there be justice soon for Libby and Abby? The Murder Sheet is a weekly true crime podcast hosted by uh, Anya Kane and Kevin Greenlee. You guys do a phenomenal job. Please keep us updated and we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks for having us. Thanks so much. Yep. Thanks, guys. Alan Green has a look at the roads. It's a Hammer and Nigel show. I'm Nigel. Guy Relford is uh, filling in for Hammer. Did you see this stuff with <laughs> with Luke Bryan and Governor Ron DeSantis? Oh, yeah. Over that, the it, weekend. It's, it's pretty compelling video. Did you hear the cl- crowd response? Yes. And uh, let me let me just play this for you here real quick, because I, I think there's everybody. Liberals are just their heads are are spinning right now because country's music superstar Luke Bryan had Ron DeSantis on during a show. There was a show in Jacksonville and DeSantis was trying to raise money for the hurricane relief effort. Uh, hurricane Ian, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so this is kind of what it sounded like. Uh, over the weekend with Ron DeSantis, Governor of Florida, on stage with Luke Bryan. We're going to have some fun and we're going to raise some money tonight for the great state of Florida. Right? So Ron DeSantis is walking out. Welcome to the stage, Governor Ron DeSantis. <laughs> the crowd's going nuts. That's impressive, man. I, I mean, it's a huge stadium. Or arena or whatever you want to call it. And DeSantis is throwing out t-shirts and stuff like that. People are going nuts. And again, this whole thing is because he uh, stopped down the show to let him know, you know, hey, donate to this cause. Donate to Hurricane Relief. And th- that was the whole point. Well, yeah, and keep in mind, this is the acting governor in the state where they are, <laughs> yeah. right? I mean, this is the guy who's governor right there uh, in in Florida and, and trying to raise money for uh, big, big, big sections, uh, large sections of, of that state that were completely devastated. But of course, liberal Twitter went nuts after this. I'll, I'll just read a few. <laughs> can I read a few comments here for you? And oh, then yeah. Luke Bryan had oh, a yeah. response. I had my suspicions about Luke Bryan and his political leanings. He was already on my list of artists whose music I refused to purchase for fear of my hard-earned money going into the pockets of election deniers and democracy assassins. Many thanks for confirming. First of all, it makes no sense whatsoever. The pockets are going in. The money's going into Luke Bryan's pockets. Well, now, yeah, you know, but, but I don't plus, think he's an election denier or a democracy assassin. I'm fascinated by that term, <laughs> democracy assassin. Uh, well, I'm, I'm assassinating democracy as a, you know, as, as a conservative or as a Republican hey. governor of Florida. I'm, I'm assassin. It's such, that's that's incredibly interesting terminology. There's another one. Quote: I'll never listen to Luke Bryan again. There's another one. Just dropped Luke Bryan off my playlist. I mean, it's, 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 I could go, you know, we could spend a full hour reading the negative. <laughs> That's right. We, and by the way, makes here no we are. Sense. Here we are, the first Hammer and Nigel show with, uh, with, without the Kyle Wells, and we I got know. a Luke Bryan story. I, know. I mean, I'm already, me. I'm already heartbroken. We get, we don't have this guy. But, I know. But, I was, <laughs> you called, you called into the show Friday. That was a pretty, that was a pretty cool tribute you had for, uh, for, for, you for know, Kyle, I, man. I, I, I was, got, I'm sure you appreciate it. And I texted Kyle this morning. He's, 
doing okay. Uh, he's doing fine at his new gig. Got there early. He's pretty eager. So he's uh, uh, yeah. Well, I, I called. In, I mean, I requested to call in, but I, well, yeah. I, I I texted you guys and said, hey, can I call in and say goodbye to Kyle? And then, damn it, I got all misty, and <laughs> okay. I hate it when I do that. Oh, uh, uh, but it was he. He's a great guy, and we're all going to miss him around here. But he's but he's going to do great in his next career. Uh, so he, but he does a great Luke Bryan impression. Oh man, it's the best. Here's Luke Bryan responding to the quote unquote controversy. Which I wouldn't put anything out there. Screw you. Like I, you don't need a, a, an explanation exactly. from me. I'm so quote. I typically don't respond to stuff when I'm dealing or when I'm getting run down on a social media platform. But here's the deal. I understand Governor DeSantis is a very polarizing figure, but I grew up in a country where if a governor asked you if they could come and raise awareness to help victims of a natural disaster, you help. I mean, if I were at a concert in in some liberal state. And you know, in California, right? If I'm in California, and 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 they've just been devastated, say you know, by whatever an earthquake, an earthquake, yeah. So and and the you know and 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 Governor Moonbeam out there walks out <laughs> and says, "Hey, we're trying to raise money, you know, for earthquake victims. Am I going to be upset? Exactly. That, It'd be different if he's a vote for me or you know, uh, yeah. you know. It, I mean, it, I think Gavin, depending on the message, I think Gavin Newsom is a complete idiot, and I couldn't possibly agree <laughs> with his politics anymore. Am I going to be upset that he came out and tried to raise money for earthquake victims while I'm at a concert? Yeah. In and, and I, I don't understand the thinking but that that goes that 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 goes uh, to how i feel about twitter generally all right coming up next it's the breakdown with brian baker 93 wibc uh contributor and co-host we get his thoughts on the delphi arrest and much more that's right after the news 93 wibc is the Hammer and Nigel show. My name is Nigel. Guy Relford filling in for Hammer. He stepped out for a cigar. Uh, we'll go to the drivehubler.com hotline for the breakdown with Brian Baker. Brian is a longtime contributor and host for 93 WIBC. Brian, how are you? I'm great, but my feelings are a little hurt. Every time I come on and Relford's filling in, he's like, yeah, I'm getting out of the studio. <laughs> Screw this guy. <laughs> hey, you know what? Uh, he uh, Didn't you guys have a thing a couple of years ago? Did you have a thing? We well, I mean, we we sort of did. I mean, it, it was half real, half theater. We kind of got into it over um, the uh, AR-15 style that's, rifles. That's right. That's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and so we had a little debate on air, but uh, I did have to come back around and apologize to him and say, "Yeah, you know, come to think of it, I think you're right." <laughs> One of the rare instances where Brian Baker admits he's wrong. Wow. Oh no, are you kidding me, man? I've been married for 13 years. I am so good at apologizing and admitting when I'm wrong. Oh, man. Okay, so let's start, obviously, with the biggest news of the day here in uh, Indiana. And really, this is a national news story. Finally, an arrest in the murders of Abby Williams and Libby German, a 50-year-old Delphi resident charged with their murders being held without bond. Uh, Pretty emotional day. I don't know if you were watching the press conference earlier with... um, with uh, Superintendent Doug Carter, but not much else. We don't know a lot else about how they uh, found this guy, what led up to his arrest, where he's been for the past five or six years. You're just kind of your big picture overall thoughts on the announcement today. You know, I mean, I I was certainly heartened to see that they'd finally made an arrest. That's really encouraging. And I think, um, you know, obviously a relief to the family. I'm sure that the families have been privy to much more of the the inside investigation than most of us in the general public have been and and those of us in the media uh, or those of us who used to be in the media. (laughs) You're still in it. 
Yeah, but you know, my my um, my general feeling on it is that I know a lot of folks were frustrated they didn't get more details in the press conference. Yes. But really, I mean, kudos to investigators. I think that they have been really methodical in how they have gone about this investigation, and certainly they do not want to be stuck in a position where a lot of people are doing the Monday morning quarterback on them if they fail to get a conviction in this case. So I'm sure that they have been very methodical and careful with collecting information, not letting out more than they need to know. And having not been on the law enforcement side of things, I can't really speak to this, but I would imagine, too, that you know police are pretty sophisticated investigators. They're working with some pretty sophisticated technology, and maybe they don't want to let the general public know what that is. Um, because, uh, you know, I would think uh, as long as they've got uh, the advantage and they're able to, uh, to utilize some of that technology to go after suspects and solve crimes and cold cases, then um, why would you want to let the general public know anything more than they need to know? You know, I think I've been a little more understanding over the past few years. Like, I, I know Hammer has been very frustrated. Uh, Rob Kendall frustrated with the lack of I don't want to say transparency, but just lack of information. And in fact, they, you know, it's it's a kind of a controversial thing that they sealed the probable cause affidavit. We don't know what's in that yet, but I'm with you, man. I'm like, get all those T's crossed and I's dotted before you 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 know jeopardize the integrity of any single part of this investigation as a matter of fact i was surprised they still said they had the tip line open we don't know if maybe there's somebody else out there that's still uh, a part of this thing and i i think i'm with you i'm like yeah just keep it close to the vest uh in this case well yeah i'm sure they'll continue to collect information sure. and you know but i also was thinking about this this morning i mean all, obviously, we've had a huge surge in violent crime across the country, and there's no doubt. I mean, Abby and Libby and their family, their friends, I mean, they have, have paid more for this crime than anyone else. But, um, you know, when things like this happen, and especially on the national level, it, you know, it takes something from all of us, right? It increases your, your, your fear. Uh, if you live in that community, it, it creates additional anxiety for you, especially if you're a parent. Yeah. You know, this investigation has gone on for two years. And, you know, Delphi, um, there's great businesses up there, but of course they've got right now in the, you know, in the general mainstream, there's a bit of a black eye there too, because it's associated with this horrible crime. So, And it's um, really just creepy that that guy's been walking around amongst everyone else for uh, the past five years. It's just yeah, truly, it's, um, I, I'm really curious to know what led up to his arrest and, and, and how long this guy uh, has been on their radar. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure um, that all the information will come yeah. out, but I got, got a feeling it may not happen until after the trial is complete. We'll see. Which is set for uh, next March 2023. It is the breakdown with Brian Baker. Uh, once upon a time, you worked in the... Uh, world of financial radio broadcasting. Uh, this is kind of in your wheelhouse. We had the news drop last week. The GDP rose by 2.6%. Uh, yeah. old, old poopy pants Biden was doing cartwheels in the West Wing. <laughs> um, what Am I supposed to be happy about the GDP rising 2.6%? What does that mean exactly? And it still feels like inflation is pretty damn high. Yeah, I mean, inflation has pulled back a little bit, but it is still high. Um, the growth and uh, again, the GDP gains that we had in the third quarter made up for losses in the first half of the year. But uh, I and I don't want to go poopy on everyone's uh, excitement about that. But 
the truth is that a lot of that was driven by a narrowing of the trade deficit. There was an increase in consumer spending, most of that on services rather than goods, because it's so expensive right now to, to finance any purchases, right? Um, and we, we had a pretty good boost of government spending as well. And the majority of economists are saying that this is not likely to last, that you know, this was kind of an anomaly, and probably in early 2023, we're going to see another recession. Now, I mean, I've been kind of fascinated watching this unfold. And, you know, I, I think we've all got skin in the game, regardless of whether you have money in the markets or not. I mean, we're all living in this huge mess that's been created post-pandemic. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I see, like, certain patterns that, that are similar to what I saw in 2008. But, you know, with regard to – you made the, the mention about financial. I'm actually, like, getting – part-time, like working back into working with some financial companies, oh, no because kidding. I think that there's, yeah, yeah. And in fact, I'm working with a company called um, uh, Fisher Capital um, that, that sells gold and silver, because I see where, you know, listen, no one is ever going to be able to accurately predict what's going to happen in markets or the economy, regardless of how many degrees they've got and how smart they are. It just, it doesn't happen. You could go on any of the major websites that are financial, whether it be CNBC or Market Watch, every day, and you'll see two conflicting opinions right there on their main homepage. But, you know, I'm not convinced that the Fed has inflation under control, and they're starting to see pressure now from lawmakers and from the White House they're raising concerns saying, hey, uh, you know, take it easy because this could potentially wind up at boosting the, the unemployment numbers and we're concerned about job losses. And I don't know. I mean, the Fed has backed off a little bit and has been a little bit more dovish in their language. But I don't know that if it comes down to choosing hmm. uh, tackling inflation or uh, worrying about employment, that they won't say, listen, our, our number one job is to just get this inflation under control. So we're going to see, I, I think, a three-quarter rate hike is a uh, three-quarter of a point rate hike this week is probably what they're going to announce. And then there might be another one in December. But a lot of economists say, hey, you know, they'll probably be done after that for a while. And can you stick around for one more segment, Brian? Because I want to ask you about um, you're based out of Georgia, fascinating uh, race in the Senate down there. And I want to ask you all about that here coming up on The Breakdown with Brian Baker, 93 WIBC. My name is Nigel. We'll go to the drivehubler.com hotline. Bring on Brian Baker. It is the breakdown with Brian Baker here. Uh, did, did you just have to read that off a card? I, 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 I Yes, I did. I, uh, I, did, I got lost. I, I forgot who we had on the phone here, actually. I knew it was Brian Baker or uh, if somebody else that got let go recently. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> you were uh, based out of Georgia. Um, it's it's what is it? Abrams and Kemp for the gubernatorial race. Yeah. That's that race is kind of a joke, right? Yeah, it is. And I mean, Kemp and, and Abrams, they just had their final debate. And Stacey Abrams got caught in this huge whopper of a lie saying that oh, she's not in favor of defunding the police. Oh, OK, sure. Saying um, no, you actually said in an interview on CNN that you're in favor of defunding the oh, police. Oh, there's a nine-minute montage of clips like that. Please, <laughs> yeah. So she's just 
she's a mess, man. And, uh, you know, I, she did have some, some strong early voter turnout because, um, you know, she's really good about uh, beating the drum on voter suppression. But the truth is, man, uh, I don't think that she's got a, a chance in the world. All of the governor's races, for the most part, seem to be leaning Republican. Yeah. yeah. And, does, you know, uh, d- does Herschel Walker uh, stand a chance? I, I think they're neck and neck. The, the Senate race in Georgia, Walker versus Warnock. What do you think? Yeah, man, this one is a mess. Um, I do think he stands a chance, and if he ultimately is victorious um, as a guy who will go and vote for him, it ain't going to be because he's smart or he was a really great, viable candidate. It's going to be a strategy vote of, hey, we've got to flip the House and and we've got to flip the Senate. Um, But uh, with that said, I think he does have a really good running chance. Unfortunately, Georgia, the way our elections work down here, they're kind of screwy, and so if any candidate fails to get above 50% of the vote, it goes into a runoff. Yeah, you get a runoff, yeah. Yeah, and that's what screwed things up before. And, you know, if that happens, and right now both of the candidates, both Warnock and Herschel Walker, are pulling below 50%, if that happens, then, you know, I think it could probably swing towards Democrats because, you know, you got, what, one runoff election, all of a sudden the the noise, the chaos, all the uh, the election clutter kind of clears away, and then the Democrat Party is plowing tons of money into the state of Georgia. That's what happened before, and I fear that that could happen again. But, you know, I'm hopeful. Uh, it, yep. in, in the year 2022, there's not a whole lot to be hopeful about, but this is one thing that I think we're going to be all right in November. I really do think that we're going to flip the House and the Senate, and the majority of the governor's races will go Republican as well. Final thing uh, with Brian. Baker, uh, you were pals with the uh, late Leslie Jordan, uh, who recently yeah. died in a car crash. Um, uh, he, comedian and actor. We got right about probably like sixty seconds left. I mean, I know you can't encapsulate the guy's career and your relationship, but uh, just talk about his passing. Yeah, man. I mean, this one really hurt, Nudge. Um, uh, Leslie Jordan is somebody I really credit with with saving my life at a time that I really needed. Um, I needed a friend, and I, I needed wow. somebody that could could say, I've been there, and I've been in an even worse place than you. Um, because but, you worked you know, in Hollywood, I, you work in that you work in that industry, so you knew him. I, yes, I did. And, um, you know, we became very close friends. I met him uh, through Lisa Gibbons. He came in for an interview, and, um, you know, we just kind of hit it off and, and had regular lunches. He was a huge encouragement to me and, and tried to do so many things to help me with my career. But what I wanted to say about him is that, you know, I've seen so many comments online lately, people saying, gosh, you know, I feel like I knew him because you just sort of got this, this feeling through his social media presence that, that he was the guy. And, and what I wanted to say is that if you did follow him, if you were a fan on Instagram, then you did know him. He was exactly the same way in person. Um, just super funny, huge heart, really loving. And was I the, uh, was the, really well, was the well, 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 was that, that, that was yeah, his catchphrase, right? <laughs> yeah. How y'all doing? Yeah. Right, right, right. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the only thing I would say was a little different behind the scenes is that uh, he could be a little bit more more brash <laughs> in person. Sure. But, um, <laughs> Flamboyant. But no, he, he was he was a character in, in Chattanooga, which is just uh, you know a couple hours north of me down here uh, in Atlanta. They're going to honor him, which is, is well-deserved. And I hope that the media does a good job of covering all the work that he did over the last 20, 30 years just in service to others. I mean, he was a part of Project Nightlife. Uh, Nightlight, which was a organization that was designed really 
really, it, it was based on the principle that no one should die alone. And so at the height of the AIDS crisis, he was, you know, there with a lot of people in their final moments when their families had abandoned him. And just so generous, such a really, really good guy. And I love that he, I'm sorry that he's gone, but I've, I just love that he went out uh, achieving what he wanted because he was always famous. But before Instagram, he was just sort of like working yeah. actor famous. Yeah. And then he went mega famous. And he just loved that and ate it up more than anybody that I ever saw in that business. So I, I love him and, and I'm going to miss him very much. More of the Hammer and Nigel show coming up next.